Hey, Mikey, we like it. Not a huge surprise, but clearly one of the great comebacks since Burt Reynolds' hairline. It came in a two-word statement, which is now just begging to have a Nike campaign built around it. Quote, unquote, I'm back. Hello, hello, and welcome back to your fifth favorite sports podcast, The Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree, and we are back after a long hiatus, a long break for season two of the pod. Shree, are you excited? This is actually the first episode we're doing in person, so groundbreaking, historical, monumental, whatever you want to call it, be back. If you guys saw our Instagram story, we posted the very jank setup going on behind this. We're using an actual paper towel roll as the mic stand. And so we're really MacGyvering the hell out of the situation, but it's working and we're back and better than ever, ready to go. A lot of sports has happened since we last talked to you guys. Many champions were crowned, including the Milwaukee Bucks as your 2020-2021 NBA championship. Let's talk about that real quick because we haven't had a chance to talk about that on the pod. Shree, what were your thoughts on the playoffs in general, on the state of the NBA at this moment with the Bucks being champions and Giannis, you know, being a two-time MVP, but also now finally an NBA champion? Well, listen, here's my thing. As a Golden State Warriors fan, it's always fun when your hometown guys win a ring. The Warriors drafted Steph, drafted Clay drafted Draymond, developed all of them, and then they became the crazy super team that everyone hates. What Milwaukee did with Giannis was special because he didn't come into the league like highly touted at all. I don't think anyone really knew about him. Like Obviously, the uh, the scouting department going to Greece, whatever it was, they clearly figured something out because this guy went from, what, seven points a game his rookie year. I think by his fourth year, he was averaging 22, but nobody would think he was going to become a two-time MVP one-time defensive player of the year, and now a finals MVP. This guy really saved Milwaukee as a franchise. I think now they're officially back on the map as a prominent NBA organization again. And besides Giannis, I just want to say Drew Holiday really like impacted the finals in a way I've never seen anybody do on the defensive end. What he did with Booker, with Paul, basically anyone he guarded, locked them up individually. They, I don't know. Drew Holiday really proved a lot to me these playoffs. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, I was honestly rooting for the Suns because I love Devin Booker. I've talked about how much I love Devin Booker on this podcast. Um, so I was like, you know, I, I'm rooting for the Suns. But you can't not love Giannis as a guy. He's incredibly funny, very charismatic. And as a basketball player, just works so hard all the time. So I was like, even if Giannis wins, I'm not going to be mad about it. I'll be very happy and good for the city of Milwaukee. But I just also want to take a moment to talk about Chris Paul. He did a great job of leading the Suns team that's very young, very inexperienced when it comes to the playoffs. But I thought this was his best chance at ring. I mean, obviously his first finals appearance, so obviously his best chance. But he was going up against the Milwaukee team who, compared to the past winning championship teams, I don't think they were necessarily touted as, oh, this is the team to win a championship, you know? Like, they had great players. They obviously had Giannis, they had Chris Middleton. Drew Holiday, what have you not. But they weren't the 73-9 and Warriors. They weren't the KD Warriors. They aren't this team that you go into the finals saying, oh yeah, we're going to lose against them for sure. You know, if the, if the Suns were going up against the Nets with KD, with Harden, with Kyrie, you're like, oh yeah, that's a difficult team. But we kind of saw this Bucks team not have a super easy way going to the playoffs. So I thought, oh, this is CP3's best chance of winning. And he just didn't deliver when he needed to. And here's my... 
issue with a team led by CP3. Like, you're going to be a great regular season team. And honestly, you're probably going to be a good playoff team, too. Like, everyone, I think, bashes Chris Paul a little too much for what happened with him in the Clippers organization and New Orleans before. I never thought he was the central problem to why all those playoff failures occurred. And then with the Rockets, obviously, one conference finals appearance, injury, which I think kind of changed that series, but I'm not going to speak much more on that. But when your best player, and I think Phoenix's best player was Devin Booker. Like, I don't think that's a question. Chris Paul definitely underperformed in the finals compared to what we expected of him based on his regular season. But when Devin Booker's shot isn't falling, at this stage in his career, at least, there's not a lot more he offers to you on the court. His defense has improved. I think the way he moves off ball is getting a little better. But ultimately, it comes down to if Booker's shot is not falling, the Suns are in a world of trouble. If Giannis isn't scoring the ball, defensively, he's impacting the game. He has rim protection. He can switch out on the guards. And he runs the floor in transition. He's gotten so much better with his playmaking. So I think when your team's best player can do a lot more than score, you're set up to win a grinded out type seven game series format a little more than when your team's main guy is just primarily a scorer. No, I, I, I for sure agree. And I think that's thing about the great players is they either power through and they rarely have an off night or they're able to contribute elsewhere. You look at Steph, if Steph Shaw is not falling, he's doing everything he can on the offensive side of the court to make sure that his team is, is scoring, that he's being this great facilitator. Look at Kobe. If Kobe's shot wasn't falling, he would shoot through it until it was. You know, but granted, he brought so much up from the defensive end as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Devin Booker, he just doesn't have that yet. He is very young. You know, he's he's only in his early 20s. He still has a lot more development to go. But from the offensive, offensive perspective, or from the game perspective, sorry, if, if his offense and his scoring is lacking a little bit, he needs to bring more to his team to make sure that, you know, either facilitate, give it to guys like Cam Johnson, campaign, whoever, you know, is feeling hot that night and make sure that they can develop and score or got to play defense and grind it out. And Giannis, if his shot's not falling, as you said, Shree, he puts in so much effort on defense to get the turnover, get the steal, swing the momentum, his team's way, get an easy fast break point here or there, which, you know, no one can stop Giannis in the fast break. I don't think anyone can stop Giannis in the fast break in NBA history. But just too long, just too fast, just too strong. But Giannis just has that sort of the, the ability to, to put the team on his back that Devin Booker doesn't have yet. So I think hopefully Devin Booker will blossom and develop into the sort of Kobe Jr. type of player that like is this amazing shooter, but also can, you know, really develop on, on the defensive side of the ball and hopefully can lead the Suns to another finals and hopefully this time to a championship. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw some of that from Booker. Like, he had back-to-back 40-point games in the finals, which I think just says a lot about his scoring ability and how many different types of shots he can hit. But all in all, I think it was a great finals. It was definitely refreshing not to have, like, a crazy loaded super team. Like, I thought this was a really balanced series. We saw a lot of different type of guys contributing. I thought Chris Middleton really made a name for himself, in at least in the latter rounds of the playoffs. Like, once Giannis went out with a hyperextended knee, which is very conveniently forgot about that this guy... Hyperextended his knee and came back two games. What, what, two games later? Dude, was it? Giannis won a championship and in the NBA Finals MVP on like a half a knee. Yeah. I don't understand how, like, that's that has to be one of the greatest finals performances of all time. No, he's got like LeBron type recovery. It's like crazy. No Insane. No, but besides that, the fact that Middleton just emerged as this elite crunch times closer, I, I, I'm happy for him because I think he's been overlooked a lot. I only made one all star team, but. Guys in the league are always talking about how great of a scorer he is, how much he does on the defensive end. So 
Good for him. And good for him, Holiday and Booker. After the finals in that same week, going to Tokyo and helping the U.S. win gold, nuts. For sure. And I think a lot of people were very skeptical after the Team USA's loss in Nigeria and the exhibition matches and even the early round losses in the Olympics. But they put it together. They showed that even a group of dysfunctional NBA players from the U.S. are better than any of the other players across the world. But I think we also got a glimpse of how good some other players are when they play for their country. For example... Evan Fournier, you know, when he's playing for France, went off. And then Patty Mills scoring, what, 38 points? Oh, yeah, 42, 42 in the bronze game. 42 man. points in the bronze game for Australia. Like, insane. So, I think it's kind of crazy how we see some players and, like, oh, they're kind of mid. They're kind of washed in the NBA. And then they go against a very, very good team with so many good players like KD and Dame, et cetera, et cetera. And then they drop 42 points. So That's what, the Ricky Rubio 38-point game against Team USA? You never see him play like that on any team. His role is just facilitate, pass, maybe get a few steals. But we don't see him as a primary scoring guy. It's kind of wild to see all these international guys just explode in yeah, Timbo play. Yeah, 100%. And Tree, I know a little bit earlier, you mentioned it was refreshing to not see a super team in the NBA Finals. But next year, that might as well happen because a new super team has been formed in the city of Los Angeles at Staples Center, it is the Los Angeles Lakers who have acquired, you know, a big, big fish for free agency, uh, Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. People are saying this is a new big four. I think it's a big three and a half. But what do you think? What are your thoughts about the Lakers acquiring Russell Westbrook and, you know, giving up away their their, their most prized possession, Kyle Kuzma? What do you feel about that? The, the very controversial Kyle. Controversial Kyle Kuzma. Um I can't even say controversial, right? That's how confused I am about Kuzma. Um, had a couple of good years in the beginning with Lakers, at least scoring the ball. And I think his game improved from a an all-around perspective, got really much better as a defender, um, learned how to cut off the ball, play with guys like LeBron, AD. But just the fact that he couldn't score consistently, consistently enough bothered a lot of Laker fans. So... I think this is a good start for him with a semi-rebuilding Washington team. I have no idea what they're doing. They have Bradley Beal, Spencer Dinwiddie, who they signed in free agency. They have Montrez, KCP, Kuzma, and obviously the young guys like Rui Hachimura, um, Davis Bertans, who I think will have a bounce back here. So I don't know. I think they're in like a weird like play-in, playoff type situation, but it feels like they're rebuilding. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm confused as to why they gave up Russell Westbrook, but... I mean, the haul they got was pretty good, but I don't think they're going to be a good team next year. I just don't see this. I don't know. I, I don't see them going far in this East that is pretty stacked. And, you know, you have the Nets and then even some other teams that I think may not have a super stacked roster, but still are very good. For example, the Boston Celtics, you know, very good. And Jason Tatum's obviously been developing every single year he's been in the league. So I think this, this Washington team is interesting. For sure, they have potential. And depends on how they put the rotations. They got a couple solid big men with Rui and then now with Harrell, right? And their forwards or their stretch forward or sort of small forward position. They got Kuzma as well to kind of lock that down. They got a decent point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie. Nice shooter at Bradley Beal, but like who's going to take control of the offense? I mean, it obviously has to be Beal. And Beal had a fantastic year last year, right? A very, very good year. One of the best scorers in the league, right? Especially from a PPG number purely. So I think... He'll take control of the offense, but overall, I don't know. I'm not sure if their team got better or worse because Russell Westbrook is a still a very good player. Here's the thing I'll say about back to your question about how Westbrook's going to fit in on the Lakers. 
he's going to carry that team in spurts when guys like AD are resting. Guys like Braun, I don't know, load management, whatever the situation is with a pretty old Lakers team, I'd say. He's going to be the energy guy who just doesn't let his team lose. And that's so important for a team like this in the regular season where, you know, guys are going to have off nights. Guys are going to have stretches where they don't feel like, you know, trying their hardest. They're going to coast in the regular season. But that ain't Westbrook. Like, you saw what he did with the Washington team second half of the year. Took them from, I think, 12th, 13th in the East all the way to the playoffs. And that's going to be so, so valuable for the Lakers. I don't know how it's going to translate in the playoffs because... We all know the point guard is LeBron. Like He makes all the basketball decisions on the court. But now you have another dynamic playmaker. Westbrook, everyone overlooks the fact that this guy is an unbelievable passer. Like Obviously, people say the stat padding, the triple doubles, all these records who, I don't know, people marginalize them, kind of undermine them. I think Westbrook is a fantastic player. He's going to help this team a lot. They're going to make a deep playoff run, assuming everyone stays healthy. But it's the role, guys, that they added that really do it for me. I don't know about a big four. I don't think Melo is in that, but like re-signing Taylor Horton Tucker, adding Malik Monk, guys like Wayne Ellington, just, you know, reliable guys who you know are going to do their job, who fit the role of what they need. Dwight Howard coming back to LA. I think he's going to be so much better than what Drummond was for them. No, 100%. And also, you know, I agree that the sort of shooters that these guys got, well, Wayne Ellington as well, right? And coming back to the Lakers has been a long time. I think it's going to make up for a couple of their losses here and there. I am very sad they lost uh, um, um, Caruso. Yeah. I think Caruso is extremely underrated, right? Like, from the defensive standpoint. Well, he got paid. He, he did get paid, and I think they should have tried to pay him. But, like, you know, he's honestly a really good shooter and can actually develop and sort of create offensively by himself. From a defensive perspective, actually really good as well. But, yeah, he got paid. So, very happy for Alex Caruso. But... Yeah, I mean, I think overall, it's an interesting team that's going to happen in LA. We'll see how it develops. I think just like every single year when somebody new gets added to Lakers, you got to see how it's going to develop for like the first couple months or so of the season. And then we'll see, you know, is this team legit? Are they not? What's the deal? Yeah, it's going to be a, a fantastic finals with the Golden State Warriors and any other team in the East. I think, I'm saying this semi-sarcastically because I do think the Warriors fully healthy are it's one last run, I guess, right? With like Iggy reaching kind of the end of his career and, you know, Clay coming back. This this is the the optimal year they have to re-enter title conversation. And we'll get to them. But I want to start going over just real quick some of these free agent numbers and the contracts and where they ended up. Um, we'll, we'll start with some of the more high-end contracts. John Collins, five years, $125 million, back with Atlanta. I really like this because I think you're betting on John Collins' potential to keep improving. We saw him add a reliable three-point shot. He's not a liability from beyond the arc. He can stretch the floor. Super, super athletic. We saw his chemistry with Trey Young improve once Lloyd Pierce was fired. Um, Nate McMillan did a great job handling those two's relationship. What do you think of the Collins contract? Yeah, I think it's very good. I think Atlanta has a pretty good team. And I think if Collins develops on the trajectory that he's been going for the past, I'd say, two to three years, I think it's very good. I think the fact that you have Capella and Collins, right, on the same team, potentially being on the floor at the same time, can be very intimidating from both a four and a five perspective. Capella had a career year last year, right? So I think overall, pretty good signing for the Hawks. And I think, yeah, this going to, you know, Trey Young re-signed as well, right? Signed a huge deal. So I think that they're keeping their stars and they're just trying to develop a bit more. And I think that's a pretty dangerous team in the East. The fun thing about the, the Collins-Capella thing is that everyone wants Collins to become a really, really good defender. But if you have Capella on your team, on your team you can kind of hide that. Like I think Capella does so much for you in the paint that Collins, 
we can rely on a little bit of help on that end. So I'm excited to see how that team does. They had a crazy run this year. Um, another guy, Chris Paul, re-signing at age 36. What a god. $120 million, four years, fleecing the Suns. But I think it was necessary. They had to do it, right? No, they had to do it. And the fact that his contract's going to end when he's 40 years old, he's pulling some sort of Tom Brady numbers. I don't think we've ever seen a good, reliable 40-year-old, like, actually can lead a team player in the NBA in a long, long time. Most people retire in their late 30s. So, and even if they do end up in their late 30s, they're kind of, they're kind of the Vince Carter role, the, the Ray Allen role towards the end of their career. Even low-key the, the, the Kevin Garnett role, where towards the end of his career, in his, in his late 30s, just, you know, a basic role player on whatever team he's on. But, you know, he's getting paid, Chris Paul's getting paid this much money because he needs to lead the Suns team. So I think it's very interesting because it'll be uncharted territory. I don't think a player this old has ever gotten paid this much money with these expectations. It's it, that and like the fact that he's like barely six feet. You don't see six foot point guards who are, like he used to be pretty athletic early in his career, but now kind of an unathletic guy relying on the mid-range a lot. You don't see these guys getting $30 million a year this late in their career. And just goes to show how important he is for a basketball team and what he means to an offense. So happy for him, I guess. Um, Next guy, Jared Allen, five years, $100 million. I think it's a slight overpay because I think what Jared Allen does is awesome on defense, and he's the perfect guy in an offense like what the Cavs have, in which there's not really any flow, but Jared Allen does all the little things like set good screens, roll to the basket well. Um, I don't know. I thought it was an overpay, but you young centers were good like that are definitely hard to find yeah and i think the i think the biggest thing is the lack of supply with players like jared allen right you're not going to find these great centers that are coming out of college right now that can just add and provide immediately what jared allen can right if you're going to have to use a draft pick why would you use it on a center or super high draft pick why would you use it on an off on a center like that, right? And I think the fact is that he's been in the NBA for a while. He's proven himself on, you know, now two different teams at this point, right? So I think overall, it is an overpaid, but I understand why they paid him. So It's so weird, though, because they took Mobley in the draft. So I, it's another young center that they took. And I think there's a contract waiting to be flipped. Like, he's going to be an asset. I don't think he's here to stay in Cleveland for five years or anything because... Mobley's going to be the guy. There's no point having Jared Allen be a backup center. There's no point having Mobley be a backup center. And no one's playing two centers on the floor at the same time. So definitely an asset I think is going to be flipped. Super useful. Golden State, if you're on, if you're listening to this, get on it. Um, I think he's useful. Uh, I don't know. Personally, I think they can play Mobley at the four and Allen at the five. And that'd be really good because Mobley can be the sort of stretch. He can be a very cagey type player, I think, if he develops a lot. So I think... I don't know. That'd be super, super interesting to see Mobley at the four and then Jared Allen at the five. And then you have uh, Colin Sexton and then Darius Garland. That's a pretty good four to five people on your team. And you have a coral. Yes, I forgot. Yeah, that's a pretty good team. But yeah, this is not a bad team at all. Yeah. I don't think you need to flip Jared Allen. I think you're right from a contract perspective. It's a very flippable contract. But I think if Mobley develops to, you know, how the scouts said he would develop, like sort of Chris Bosh-ish type player... Then I think, what, like, you have Chris Bosh at the four, a.k.a. Mobley, and then you have Jared Allen at the five. It's a relatively good backcourt, so I think, you know. I think that works in a time that isn't the present NBA. Like, 
you're seeing more and more teams play small ball. Like, it, it would be like having some other really big guy paired with DeAndre Ayton. I think that just clogs the paint a little, little too much. No, this, this makes sense. But I, I think it hasn't been tried in this modern NBA, right? Obviously, you're not going to have teams that run that type of thing. So I think, you know, first off, Mobley has to develop, right? And I think he will, right? But he's still pretty raw. So I think if he develops and then you play those two, we can see what the outcome will be. Uh, we'll see. Um, another interesting one, I thought, DeMar DeRozan, three years, $85 million. People were saying this guy was going to take a pay cut, come to the Lakers on like a vet min. Hell no. This guy has done so much good work for San Antonio. He's added a lot of playmaking to his game. Obviously, the mid-range assassin, still super efficient from there. He's not going to be your three-point shooter or anything, but this is a crazy starting lineup that the Bulls are going to have now. They're going to have Lonzo, who... Everybody loves to play with Lonzo. You're going to have Zach Levine, who just came off a gold medal, you know, working on becoming a better defender, already a 27-point-per-game scorer in the league. You're going to have... Who else? I don't know what they're going to do with Laurie Markin. I think he's signing somewhere else, actually. But you do they have... DeRozan? Uh, no, Laurie Markin. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, you have DeRozan, you have Patrick Williams, you have Vooch. Um, scary team. I think this is a potential top-five team. If they're lazy and if they don't, you know, really pick up the intensity on defense game after game, they could be one of those like six, seven, eight teams. I think they're one of the better teams in the league. Now, that starting lineup is nuts. No, that starting lineup is nuts. I think their issue is depth, but we'll see. Why? I think they have I think they have pretty good depth. No, no, no. Because, okay, I don't think Laurie Markin is going to stay there. Kobe White off the bench is nice. Okay, that's Kobe White's preferred role, but then you also, like, I, I think... He's not starting. No, no, no. I think that's that's the role he needs to be in, right? He needs to be a bench player. He cannot yes. be the starting point guard, yeah. which he shouldn't be, you know, given you have Lonzo on your team. But, like, I think just based on the rotations, let me look at the roster, but I, just, I wasn't impressed by their depth. They did lose Otto Porter to Golden State. Yes. Which... Otto Porter played, like, what, 20 games for them two years? It doesn't matter. I don't think they miss him that much. No, but it was interesting that the, the Warriors gave up, not gave up, but sort of lost Kelly Oubre and got Otto Porter... But who who do the Bulls have actually? Okay. Oh, they lost that young, which is gonna suck. Al Farouk Aminu, very good. Obviously, jokes, jokes, jokes. Sorry, jokes, jokes, jokes. Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen. No, Markkinen's. I think Markkinen actually signed. S- okay, Sadaransky, very underrated. I think very good for sure. I love Tyler Sadaransky. Um, Tomas, <laughs> not Tyler. Tomas. Tomas. Uh, Daniel Dice, uh, Denzel Valentine. I can't believe he's still on the Bulls. Ty signed with Houston. He did? Yeah. Okay. Four years, 36. Oh, that's not bad. Good job, Houston. Good yeah, job. That's an overpay, man. I don't think you paid $9 million for Tice. No. Nah. You get one year of JaVale McGee for $5 million. I don't oh, think that. no. Okay, the Bulls, the Bulls have Patrick Williams. That's a yeah. very... But he's going to start. Interesting. So you're right. I do think they actually might have depth issues. Yeah. But we'll see. That, that's a fun team. What else? Kyle Lowry, three years, $85 million. They're definitely building the statue in Toronto for this guy. Um, but that, that Miami team's defensive starting five of Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bam, Duncan Robinson, and who else, who else is going to start for them? Oladipo? Scary starting five. Yeah, or Tyler Hero. Or Tyler Hero. I think you bring Hero off the bench. Yeah, but then... Yeah, but Duncan Robinson got paid, by the way. P.J. Tucker signed with Miami, too. Oh, I yeah. So, no, he's for sure a bench player. Not going to start P.J. Tucker. Yeah, but he'll be a defensive specialist. Very good defensive team, overall. Good job, Miami. I think... Yeah, Miami's always done a good job. I'm just surprised they had the year they had this year compared to what happened last year. Uh, I think the the hangover after a finals run, especially with a team that, you know, you're relying on Jimmy Butler to be one of your top two scorers, which is a little tricky because I, I don't think his role is to just be that elite scorer. 
But adding Lowry definitely helped. Signed Duncan Robinson, this undrafted guy from Michigan. Five years, 90 mil. That's impressive. No, super impressive. And I think he he's just having a great career in and off the court. Like, on the court, obviously doing a fantastic job. Off the court, has the podcast. A very good podcast, I might add. You know, and, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's, it's a Ringer podcast, right? I don't think it's a Ringer one, but it's like in the J.J. Reddick. Yeah, line. yeah, it isn't exactly. And obviously, a really good podcast. And I think... Yeah, great story from him. And I think as a player, these past three years, he's developed so much. Mm -hmm. And just specifically last year in the bubble, he was one of their most important players. And it feels kind of crazy to say it because he's literally undrafted, but like he really developed into and he's he's developed into being this player that you can and should pay that much money to. So that's why it was crazy this year when Miami struggled so much. Like when Robinson wasn't shooting the ball well, that team just fell apart. They had no offensive flow. It looked like they really couldn't run any plays. So I mean, he's the key to what they do on offense for sure. I'm going to go over a couple more of these bigger ones, and then we can go to some of the small, like, underrated signings. Um, what else? Utah re-signed Conley, three years, 68. I think they had to do that. Yeah, but, I mean, they, we'll, we'll see how their team develops. I think that's a very... A team that left a lot on the table in this this season, this year's playoffs, I think. Is Utah sure. ever going to get out of the second round? No, they can't. They're cursed. And it's not the fact that they're cursed. I think there's a talent cap if Mitchell's your best player. No, but Gobert's their best player. No. Yes. In the playoffs? Okay, not in the playoffs. But I think overall, Gobert's their best player. Gobert is the key to what they do on defense, but I, you're trying to win a playoff game. Donovan Mitchell's the one dropping 47, not Gobert. No, but the, I think you're right because what, okay, like, Joe Ingles left, right? Or is he? No, no, he's, he's there. Okay. No, I, I heard rumors that he was leaving. That's why. No, but everyone, but I wanted him to come to the Warriors, but. Yeah, I, no, that's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. No, he's staying. He's staying. Okay. No, but you have Joe Ingles. You have, uh, I guess, Mike Conley now. That's kind of it. And you have, like, Bogdanovich, but, like. You have a great team. You have a really, really good team that's going to win 50-plus games. The problem is in the playoffs when you're going up against superstars. Like, in a series against Golden State, like, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green against Gobert, Conley, Mitchell. Oh, uh, I think there's an experience edge. There's a talent edge. Forged. Yeah, no. That's an interesting team. I think Dallas is going to be on the come up. I mean, they're going to... It's Mark Cuban and Jason Kidd, Dirk Nowitzki. They're all flying to Slovenia. They're going to offer Luka to, what, 207 for five? I disagree. I think Dallas will have a, a very similar season they've had the past two years. They didn't really is, add anybody. No, which is exactly why I'm saying. Like, Luka can be a little bit better, but, like, Mark Cuban is doing a terrible job with this team. Like, which is, like, I mean, granted, he's not, like, on a day-to-day operations type deal. But think about this. Like, from their playoff run in the bubble, right, where they had that pretty good series with the Clippers compared to where their team is today... They basically added no one. They added Reggie Bullock, which I think is actually going to hurt the Knicks more than people think. But again, I don't think Luka needs more 3 and D type guys. Like they have Dorian Finney-Smith. Like players like that, I don't think... What I think Luka needs is just another guy who can play make. Like another one, someone who he can just pass the ball to and be like, you know what, go create a shot. Like someone like Jalen Brunson, but just better. Jalen Brunson is young, so I like him. He's good. So we can't not say that he's not going to be that. But if you do, again, like the roster is basically the same as a few years ago, and I have a bunch of friends that are Mavericks fans, and they're all also just like, dude, what are you doing? We need actual players to to make an impact. So I don't know. We'll see. I think they'll be the same place they were before, where they like have a bad start, and then they'll come back and win a bunch of games. They'll be like the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh seed in the playoffs, and they're losing the first, second round. The same story is going to happen every single time. So. 
Bro, if you told me that George Hill would have a multi-year deal at this stage in his career, two years, eight million with Milwaukee, sneaky underrated pickup by the Bucks. Like, <laughs> just another backup point guard, you know, another guy who can get the ball in the basket, facilitate an offense. You don't have to worry about him in a playoff game because he's been in so many with Indiana in the past, and obviously everywhere he's went, he's been a bit winner. So. I like that underrated signing. I like Patty Mills, two years, twelve million with the Nets. Yeah, Kevin Durant was very happy about that at mm-hmm. the Olympics. So good, you know, good job for the Nets. I think we're also speaking of Durant, wait, him resigning, Kawhi resigning. So I mean, both those guys sticking out with their teams, like we thought they would. No surprises there. I'm kind of sad Reggie Jackson signed with the Clippers again. I thought he could have been. Yeah, but I think his his role on the Clippers is perfect. So yeah, I understand from his role perspective, but he could he could, he could have gotten paid more, right? Obviously. But the Clippers are an interesting team. Again, I think they sort of suffer the same issues that the 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 Mavericks have suffered, right? Their roster is basically the same. I mean, it's not even that. Kawhi's just out for the year with the ACL. So yeah. they're really just, it's the Paul George show again. Yeah. Very sad, by the way, Kawhi ACL. But, you know, it is what it is. But, I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. And I love to see him play. So it's just sad that we can't. But Malik Monk, one year, 1.7 million dollars with the Lakers. That is a steal if I've ever seen one. I can't believe he didn't take a multi-year contract. Well, I guess it's a prove-it type of year for him, but I hope he has a good year. I believe in Malik Monk. I think he's a great player when given opportunity. He's like a 12-point-per-game guy off the bench. Every team needs that. So hopefully he does well. And Sam Decker, welcome back to the NBA. $1.7 million with the Raptors. I don't know what the hell Toronto is going to be next year. It's the Pascal Siakam show with a little bit of Scotty Barnes who looked really good in summer league. Um, no clue what that team is doing. Very, very confused. They're not going to be good at all. They're going to be terrible. I have no faith in Toronto right now, but I think they kind of did what they had to do. So it makes sense. Uh, yeah. And then what the Warriors getting Andre Iguodala? So that's my favorite. I mean, we have to. I think we're, we're going to close with that. There's so many free agent signings. You can just Google them, look up everything that happened. So many players switched, but Iggy coming back to the Warriors is just like feel good, right? Golden State obviously did pretty well in free agency. Got Otto Porter, a nice three and D guy with size off the bench. Got Nemanja Bjelica, who's going to be a huge help for guys like Steph. You don't have to worry about him just breaking threes. Um, but Iggy. You know, one last dance. We saw the Michael Jordan documentary. I think these are the final years of the Golden State Championship window. You know, we hope for good health here. Um, at least I do. I don't know about Ani. But I, I, I never root for anybody to get injured. True, but I, I was just talking about the fan aspect of it. We'll see. I think Iggy coming back is just going to be huge for the second unit. You know, another guy who playmakes, facilitates, rebounds, plays amazing defense. I think he's like a top 15 defender all time in the NBA. Um but yeah, it's going to be a great year. A lot of new things in the NBA. Uh, we saw some of it here in international play with just guys balling out. And we saw them get traded, you know, in like two days after that. So, yeah. And speaking of the Olympics, we had, I think, a great Olympics. Mm-hmm. Closing ceremony happened just yesterday slash today because the time zone issue has been really confusing. Great Olympics, almost impossible to watch. Uh, and NBC did a terrible job with their coverage, I have to say. But... Gold medal count, the USA beating China, getting 39 gold medals compared to China's 38. Got their last gold medal on the last day of competition, so just edging them out. Total medal count, USA 113, China next at 88. Great Britain at 65, but the big surprise, Japan 27 gold medals coming in their third best 
and gold medal count. And this is probably their best Olympics in history. So fantastic year from them. The Italians too, by the way, had a really good year in terms of medal count. You know, they, they did an amazing job, especially on the men's side and sprinting, right? They won both the 100 meter gold and the four by 100 meter gold. So great job. Some, some amazing stories in general. And one story that we'd like to highlight, I guess. It's a little native man. Um, so India is not always the highest medal winning country. In fact, it's always a huge, huge celebration anytime anybody wins a medal. This year, you know, the men won the bronze in field hockey. But Neeraj Chopra, India's javelin gold medalist. This guy has one of the craziest deliveries you'll see in a javelin throw. He throws it and it looks like his entire body is about to contort. But he just stops himself on the ground right before the line, before he gets DQ'd. And really inspiring, really awesome. Like It's so great when like a country just, I don't know, rallies behind one guy, like one athlete. So amazing. Check out the highlights if you can. Neeraj Chopra, javelin throw, gold medal on YouTube. Check it. But Yeah, very, very, very inspiring story from him. We had a lot of great inspiring stories. We had a lot of people that sort of blew up. You had Alana Mayer, who became viral on TikTok, right? Suni Lee. Suni Lee. And then, you know, the whole situation that happened with Simone Biles. I'm very happy that she prioritized her health. Yeah. Right. And her mental health, especially. Brave decision on the global stage. 100%. And then we had some tragic heartbreaks. You know, Naomi Saka losing very early in the Olympics, at her home Olympics, representing her home country, when she was the one to light the torch at the opening ceremony. So, you know, very, very sad stories all around. But, you know, happy stories, sad stories, that's the Olympics. But I think overall, it was difficult to watch in the sense that I couldn't find what I wanted to watch. And they were very much, uh, you know, selecting and choosing NBC were what to show you. Like, I, I didn't even see the 100-meter hurdle for men's. Not hurdle, sorry. The 100-meter sprint for men's. Like, they did not show on prime time. I, I miss the days of cable. I'm not going to lie. Like, when every Olympic event was just, like, within four channels of each other. You could yeah. just find whatever you want, whenever you want it. And now it's like, I got to go through Peacock and look at this 30-minute free trial to watch some of the U.S. basketball game. And then subscribe for some other stuff. And then NBC Sports, NBC... Uh, alternate sports whatever the hell they're doing it's not it like nbc fix your coverage for the olympics make it easy i don't even care if you just have one channel and you just pick what event you want to watch do better it's not optimal when people are spending all their time instead of watching events looking for events and then this whole tape delay thing i understand that events are happening like in a different time zone in a different part of the world when Twitter and ESPN and SportsCenter are posting results about these events, and then you broadcast your events at a time the next day for us thinking, ooh, they've never seen it. Let's show it like it's live and then put live on the top right of the broadcast. Not good. Like, we already know what happened. We're just watching because our parents don't know what happened. They're not on Twitter. So yeah. I think I think with this generation, especially with like TikTok even, right? Like you can post three-minute highlights, one-minute highlights on TikTok. Same thing on Twitter, on Instagram reels, on Instagram stories, whatever's happening, right? So like... Maybe 2008, this would have worked, but this is this is 2021, man. You, you can't be doing that type of stuff. And the funniest thing is they had five years since their last Olympics to figure out how all this was going to work, and they still messed it up. But I think, you know, barring all that, it was a great Olympics and some great stories. And I think I'm going to miss it because these past two weeks, I just always turn on NBC no matter what time of day it was and saw some sport, and it was cool. You know, and even my parents and my mom, who doesn't necessarily love watching sports, no one complains when the Olympics are on. You know, you just watch it. Whatever sport it is, you're like, oh, cool. How is the sport played? If you don't know, if you do know, you just shut up and watch it. It's amazing to watch and it's amazing to see. Great Olympics. Good job, Japan. Um, 
I think they did a fantastic job navigating the COVID situation. It was already bad there before. And then, you know, with the Delta variant coming around again, it was very difficult. But they navigated it. They took all the precautions necessary. And there are only a couple hundred cases that resulted directly from the Olympics. So fantastic job on their part. And, you know, overall, congratulations to all the athletes that performed and, you know, represented their countries. You guys are Olympians for the rest of y'all's lives. So, you know, congratulations and fantastic Olympics. And now we're very excited for what the start of the NBA season coming up in a couple of months, the start of the NFL season coming up in basically a month. And we're going to have a huge podcast about that leading up to the NFL season. Very, very excited about that. The draft was pretty good overall and, you know, some interesting pickups on every single side. So we'll see about that. Bunch of interesting new teams. The Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Say that again. The Jaguars. How do you pronounce that? Jaguar. I don't like it. That's how you're supposed to pronounce it. The Jaguars. The Jaguars. Jaguars. The Jags. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, man. Yeah, because I'm, I'm from South Florida, right? Or actually... The Jaguars. They're not even from South Florida. They're from North North Florida. But yeah, very interesting NFL season coming up. The MLB season, you know, Shoei Atani show is basically what I describe it as. Angels' worst franchise in the major leagues. Yeah, I don't understand how. And then I'm really mad at the the Yankees and the Dodgers because, dude, okay, every single time somebody good is playing the Yankees and Dodgers, like, oh, yeah, we'll just get him. How the hell do the Dodgers end up with Max Scherzer? And how do the, dude, how does the Yankees end up with Joey Gallo? Just have every single person. And they still never would have, they haven't won a championship in so long. I don't care. Since 2009. I don't care. If the A's get past the wild card game, it's dub for me. That's my goal this year. You guys should get past. You guys have one of the most talented rosters in the AL. But You do. Starling Marte been nice for us. Man. I know, but I mean, you guys are going to choke it like usual because you're Oakland, so. No. Congratulations. We're, we're good. We're good. I think we'll be fine. But yep. A lot of sports coming up. We are back season two, and we're going to be a little more regular about this. We've been kind of slacking for the last, I don't even know how many months. I forgot what our intro was this earlier today, so it says a lot about that. But we back. Um, yeah, what else? Anything else? That's it. Some Formula One stuff, but no one wants to hear you talk about that, so that's okay. We'll have a little segment for you next time to talk about Formula One. I'm very excited. I'm going to the race in, in Austin in October, so nice. very excited about that. But overall, that's, you know, that's basically it for this episode, I think, was NBA, a lot of NBA news. And next episode will be our NFL Bonanza coverage before the season starts. Very excited about that. The preseason starts this week, a couple games on Thursday, a couple games on, is there a game on Saturday? I think there might be I one. So. And then there's obviously all those games on Sunday, including the primetime game, the LA Rams versus the LA Chargers on NFL Network. So tune into that to watch the best team in the league take on the LA Rams. So, no, we'll see about that after like week four when you're just betting on the Chargers to lose every single game. No, no, no. Listen, regardless of what happens, if we do a pickup, I will pick the Chargers to lose and I will do well. But because that, that's because <laughs> yeah, the they lose, that's why you do well. That's just the way it has to go. But yeah, fantastic episode. Thanks for joining me, Shri. Did you just say fantastic episode? Why don't we let them decide if it was fantastic? It was a fantastic episode. 10 out of 10. Would listen to again. But that's all we have this time for you. We're going to get some guests. We're hopefully going to get some guests this season. We have some more. exciting news in the works for some guests. So stay tuned for that. But in general, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for supporting us on season two of this journey. We're having fun. We hope you guys are having fun with it too. But as always, and I think this is more pertinent than ever, Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Delta's out there. Peace.